and welcome to episode 13 of the Pi Podcast, the show by members of the Raspberry Pi community for the Raspberry Pi community. I'm Joe. I'm Isaac. And I'm Alaric. And coming up, we're going to be speaking to some of the guys from RetroPie and covering some news. But before we get into that, I want to extend a special thanks to Toby Weston, who contacted me on Twitter, and then we had a brief email exchange, and then he sent me a Pi Zero. I couldn't believe it. Totally for free. He covered the postage and everything. So now, guys... I'm actually one of you. I've got a Pi Zero. <laughs> this whole time you've been lying. Can't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, this this was only uh, since we recorded the last show, um, which uh, we should mention um, we're a little bit later. Um, I went on holiday and we had some scheduling issues, but hopefully we're back to every two weeks now. Yeah, so the, the Pi Zero, it's, it's small, isn't it? It was much smaller than I expected. Yes, that's what everyone says, but wow, is it small. That that was the first thing that hit me. Have you uh, used it on anything yet? Have you done any projects? I haven't done any projects. I've I've fired it up and tested it a little bit, but I haven't um I haven't had a chance to do anything uh, serious with it yet. But it's it's small and it's a little bit faster than the the original Pi, and it's it's just I can't believe how small it is. I keep saying that, but when when you get your hands on one of these things, that is the first thing you think, isn't it? Definitely, it's it's minute. And the thing I spotted as well, and I, again, I'm, I'm amazed the foundation didn't make more of it. But it's got five twelve megs of RAM, while the original A, which I thought was just a you know a cut down version of the A, has only two five six megs. So, you know, this is actually more powerful than the uh, the Model A's. Yeah, it's a great little machine, and just at that price, it's it's just a no brainer to get it. And I mean, I had the um, OTG cable, I had the HDMI, the, the mini HDMI cable, so I was good to go straight away. So uh, yeah, <laughs> highly recommended that people get one. You can get the uh, the Raspberry Pi um, org site sells a nice little adapter kit for it that I had to get because I didn't have any of those accessories for it. And I mean, well, the the mini HDMI or micro HDMI, I can't remember which one it is, and the uh, definitely the uh, header pins as well. So uh, thank you very much, Toby Weston, for changing Joe's life forever. <laughs> yeah, much appreciated. Right, let's get on with the news then. And uh, first up is the news that there's uh, Pi Academies beginning in the USA. So the first one is the 27th and 28th of February, which is fantastic. Moving on out of the uh, the UK. Yeah, I know they've been wanting to do this for quite a while. And recently on the Phosphor site that I write for, I kind of did a little Q&A with myself on it, kind of asking some questions. So I'm really pleased to see they're finally getting around to doing this. Um, looks like over the course of two days, they'll have 40 teachers will get their hands on some computing and software with Raspberry Pi, figure out what they can be done for the classroom. This is in conjunction with the Computer History Museum, which is where the Pi Academy location will be held at. And if you plan on entering yourself or entering someone into the Pi Academy, I highly recommend you listen to Episode 5, where we interview Les Pounder, who talks all about what exactly is Pi Academy and what they look for in the candidates who they would like to participate in Pi Academy. So definitely check out Episode 5. Well, next up is the release of TinyCore Linux version 7.0 for the Raspberry Pi. And this is a very, very small Linux distribution that's not based on Ubuntu or Red Hat or any of the other kind of standard distros. And it's known for being the smallest, as in, you know, we, you're talking the version for x86 laptops is like 10 megabytes and it's a proper desktop system. This one for the Raspberry Pi uh, is headless. It doesn't have the desktop, but you can get that installed. I had a brief look at it. I, I didn't get very far with it, but it's really great to see that there's yet another Linux distro 
available for the Pi. And it, it just seems like a perfect fit, especially for the Pi Zero. And um, the image actually works for both the, the ARM V6 and the ARM V7 boards. So uh, it'll work for the Raspberry Pi 2 as well as the all the other ones. So it's, um, yeah, really great to see that. Yeah, I love to see this when uh, they get the GPIO functionality in there because this is the perfect kind of Internet of Things. It's, you know, very small, very light, very little can go wrong with it. Um, you just stick it in a corner on a Pi Zero and it'll just work. Yep, and up next in our news, we see that the Raspberry Pi Foundation has added two new members to their ever-growing team. We have Oliver Quinlan and Helen Drury. Um, Oliver is going to be leading the Foundation's research work, which will include all developing um, understanding and approaches to teaching people how best to make things with computers. And it looks like Helen will also be leading the Foundation on the Outreach and Events Program, and I believe... Uh, here recently, some people might have seen some of her work on the AstroPi, some of the outreach stuff she was doing with that. If you yourself are interested in getting a job, hopefully, with the foundation, then I believe they are looking for four more positions to be filled, which looks like it is the Director of Operations, Director of Programs, Senior Partnerships Manager, and IT Support. So I highly recommend everybody try their best to get a job with that. I, I would love to work for them. So I, I might try. Who knows? Yeah, it's great to see the team growing. It it shows that it's uh, you know, they're they're expanding, going into the US with the Pi Academy, growing the team, doing more research, doing more outreach, doing more events. It's just all all good stuff. And uh, I I kind of feel sorry for uh, Helen because I was down at the the bed event, which is the big educational technology event, and uh, that's kind of a potentially a baptism of fire as your first major event. This thing was 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 huge. Oh, Albert, when are you gonna start working there? I know you're up next for <laughs> for them. <laughs> no, I'm having too much fun. Um, but on the the foundation, so the, the foundation um, are the people that are actually arranging the manufacturing of the Pi Zero. Um, what I heard was that the Pi Zero, it's so cheap, it's not really profitable enough um, to have lots of people in the supply chain. So the foundation are making themselves, which probably explains the, the limited supply, but they recently tweeted some pictures of more of them coming out of the factory in Wales. So, uh, expect to see more on the shelves. Hopefully, uh, they've got a, a production line up and running to uh, continue manufacturing because a lot of people are looking for these. And, and on that, uh, the bed event, uh, it was, this was, a massive event, you know, mainly filled with major retailers and ma- major educational uh, companies selling, you know, big interactive whiteboards. And Microsoft had a huge stand with their uh, Minecraft and their other products. But the Raspberry Pi Foundation were there and they were busy. They had a they were in the Steam Village. So science, technology, engineering, arts and maths. So it was a, a, down at one end and they had a great corner because they had a little workshop area set up where they had about 20 Raspberry Pis set up permanently. And every half an hour, they ran a different workshop. And there was just a constant stream. Every time a workshop started, all the seats were filled. There was people standing behind watching what was happening. Um, So it was really, really good. And then they had little pods set up to talk about the Astro Pi project, um, about the weather station uh, that they sent out. I think it was a thousand of those they've sent out to schools as well with resources. Carrie-Anne Philbin was there talking general education. So they had a bunch of things going on, sort of on stands, as well as having the um, the workshops happening every half an hour. And it was great to see, you know, the, the interest. There was people just, you know, who 
at this point people know what the Raspberry Pi is and we're looking for the stand, which was great. And somebody who we interviewed there recently, uh, Sam Aaron, did a, he, he, I caught the tail end, so I actually missed his presentations, but he presented on the big stage at BET. So there is like a, a big auditorium area and he was on the big screen. I walked in to see his face looking back at me and I'm going, I know that face. But I literally just caught him giving his final thank yous. And then he uh, presented a, a workshop actually on the, uh, I think a number of workshops on the uh, Raspberry Pi area in their little workshop uh, center. So he was doing that, which was brilliant. And I know Kat Lamon presented on using Scratch and the uh, the, the Pi Stop, the little um, traffic light LED tool. And there was a bunch of other people as well. So it was it was really good to see. And it was, it was great to see um, the interest. Uh, and the thing that uh, personally was most interesting for me was that they were using the Pi Top Seed uh, desktop. So these are the, the Indiegogo, the 13 inch screen, Raspberry Pi inside in the case, all, all, it's kind of like a, an all in one setup. And they were using those and they were working perfectly. And the Pi Top Seed guys were there themselves as well with their own stand. So if you've backed the Pi Top Seed, they're real. They were at the show. They're working. They look great. Um, I, I was very impressed by the finish. I wasn't expecting them to look as good at this stage because they haven't started the, the major run. So I'd expect there's probably still some kinks being worked out, but they looked fantastic. So I'm very excited, uh, waiting for my one to arrive. They're saying it'll be April, so roll on April. Awesome. I can't wait to hear about um, how well it functions and how easy it is put together and used whenever you get that. Definitely. Well, something that's been floating around social media over the last couple of days is this um, Pi Zero cluster which is made by uh, IDIN Inc. of Japan. And it looks amazing. It means you can cluster 16 Pi Zeros together to potentially make, I don't know, a 16-core server with 8 gigs of RAM, which uh, sounds pretty good for the kind of price you'd be looking at, less than 100 quid. Yeah, I mean, I, I love this thing because it's a, it's a backplane. So it means you literally just plug the Pi Zeros into it. There isn't a whole bunch of cablings. There's no network cablings. Um, I haven't seen much information about it, but it looks like they've got the Ethernet adapter chip on the back plane. So literally mm, yeah. it plugs into USB and power, and then there's a USB port out one side, and there is uh, Ethernet out the other. Uh, I think I saw on Twitter they're saying that they're still waiting for the Pi Zeros to come back in stock to actually completely populate it. So... Uh, <laughs> And, uh, yeah, another bunch of people that are waiting for uh, the stocks to come in. Well, I can't wait to see the three D printed case for this with the sixteen USB ports exposed. So, <laughs> <laughs> and actually, on cases, the um, there's been stuff on Twitter as well about the Astro Pi. So the the case for that, the big aluminium cases that went into space, um, they were designed to be CNC'd. And uh, I've heard the foundation are trying to rework the models so that they can be 3D printed. And they're looking to get those out there, the models out there, so that people can print their own cases. So that'll be great when you can actually build a case that matches what's in space on the uh, the space station. That'd be, that'd be really cool. Uh, speaking of Kickstarter's Indiegogo projects, for those of you who listened to our last episode, we talked about a Kickstarter project that was about, all about a nice display stand for the Raspberry Pi Touch display. And if you want to, you can put in some more money for to get a camera mount as well. 
Um, this Kickstarter is for the display only. Not The touchscreen does not come with that. And we're bringing this up because recently Tom Murray, who is the creator of this Kickstarter, has sent emails and also will post links in the show notes on the Kickstarter page to say that uh, this is personally from Tom Murray. I want to say thank you for supporting my campaign. I just want to clarify this project is for a case slash stand for the Raspberry Pi. The official touchscreen that was released late last year is not included. So it seems there's been some confusion that if you chipped in on this, you would get a touchscreen for it. That is not the case. Uh, He hopes that this clarifies any confusion. You can read more about this and the project on his page, on his campaign page. So if anyone thought that, hopefully it was not our our fault. Hopefully we did not mislead anyone, but it is a really nice display. I still highly, highly recommend you get it because it's, uh, I think me and Albert chipped in for this and, it, I got it mainly for the, the Raspberry Pi camera mount. That that was beautiful for me, and I believe it's Lego accessible, accessible as well. Is that right, Albert? Yeah, yeah. It's got uh, little Lego plugs on it, so you can attach a Lego to it. Uh, I I just find it amazing that he had to post that message because the case is twenty bucks. So yes. <laughs> if you kind of thought you're getting a seven inch touchscreen thrown in with the case, then um, you know, I probably have a bridge that's for sale or uh, I could put you in contact with a prince in, in Nigeria looking for some assistance. <laughs> there is people that, uh, well, I mean, you got going around a $5 Raspberry Pi now. So I can see you like, well, the touchscreen's only 20 bucks. So why not do all this? So so, yeah. so you're saying it's the foundation's fault for putting such a cheap computer on the marketplace that any price point is now considered valid for technology. That's exactly what I'm saying. Yes. <laughs> oh dear. Right. Well, that'll do it for the news then. Let's move on to the interview. We're now joined by some of the guys from RetroPies. So, welcome, guys. Hello. Hey. Hello. So, quick introduction. Uh, what are your names? My name is Florian. I'm 33 years old and I'm a software engineer. I'm located in Germany and um, I enjoy to work with open source projects. I like to tinker with electronics and also the whole maker movement. And I originally founded the RetroPipe project. Hi, I'm Jules, 39, software engineer and like programming, retro gaming, working on free software projects, and especially, of course, RetroPipe. Hi, I'm, I'm Hope and I... I'm a student at university right now. I'm in the States currently, but I'm from the UK. And uh, I primarily work on documentation and uh, forum support for RetroPie. So uh, can you give our listeners a little bit of the background on what exactly is RetroPie and how that came to be? Sure. So maybe I start with that. Um, the the very origins of RetroPie um date back to the point when the raspberry pi was announced so when i heard of this mini computer it was pretty new and i was one of the lucky ones who could get it pretty early while others still had to wait for some weeks and i have tinkered with game controllers shortly before that and the idea of this universal retro game console uh well it it just popped in my mind and i started to write down all the uh, necessary steps that are needed uh, to come up with the first uh, gaming experiences in the script. I published them on on GitHub and uh, wrote about it on a website. And yeah, that that's basically that was basically the beginning of RetroPie. Fantastic. And what uh, emulators does RetroPie cover at the moment? Um, we so we have about thirty five emulators. Uh, we also we have some standalone emulators. 
And we also have uh, a system called RetroArch, which is an excellent integrated system with centralized controls. Uh, so everything from ZX Spectrum, you know, uh, to Mega Drive, SNES, uh, even uh, newer consoles like the N64 are supported. Fantastic. I've, I've used it myself with the uh, PlayStation 1, the PSX emulator. And I, 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 I'm amazed how good that is on the original B+. Yeah, it's been pretty impressive with some of the support. PSX does a lot better than the N64, I think, um, just because of programming. But um, if they had the same kind of programming, I think they'd be about the same. So we're hoping that they'll continue to develop the emulators as we go on um, so that more can be supported in the future. So, so have any gaming companies expressed pirating concerns with RetroPie? Well, um, so far, at least, no, no company didn't get in contact with me about that. Actually, we're very careful in the in terms of what we ship with. So, we ship with emulators rather than ROMs, even in terms of firmware. I mean, the only firmwares we ship with are ones where. There have been distribution rights. I, I believe Amstrad, for example, do allow distribution of the ZX Spectrum BIOS. Uh, but with with most of the systems, we do not ship even with the BIOS files. So those, it's up to you to deal with that, obviously. So you have a real Mega Drive at home, so you, that's okay then. Um, but there is... Uh, it's a bit of a kind of shady area, isn't it? Because to actually use RetroPie you basically have to go off and download some ROMs from dodgy places on the internet, don't you? That's true. Uh, but of course, there is an expectation that you may own this software already. So if you have a, a box full of PlayStation games that you've bought but don't use anymore because you don't have backward compatibility on your PS4, then this is a great way to be able to play those games again. I think so. I'm not sure about the actual legality, but I, I think if you own the game, it sounds okay. But it's not... It's not down to us. It's really down to the user to make those choices. Yeah, definitely. What are some of the limits of RetroPie? Well, I think um, part of it is that it's limited to the Raspberry Pi for now. I mean, there, we are starting some more support for like the Odroid boards and a few other development boards, um, as well as x86 support. Um, but it it does pretty well with some of the new emulators, but it. The processing guy is not quite as good with like the N64, you start to see a lag. Um, so there's still some work to be done, definitely. Did you find that when the Raspberry Pi 2 came out, it gave a, a massive boost to performance in things like the, the PlayStation and N64 emulators? Well, absolutely. I mean, it made a massive difference. I Obviously, you've got on the original Raspberry Pi, it was an ARM6 uh, single core. And the Raspberry Pi 2 being an ARM7, which is just faster anyway, and then having four cores. The, in terms of having four cores, that's not always utilized with, by the emulators, although there are a few that support multiple threads. But generally, the fact is, even on a single core, you may have a two to three time speed up. And some of the emulators uh, were built originally for <clears throat> Android devices, which may well be an ARM7 chip. So they had optimizations in there, which we couldn't switch on for the Raspberry Pi 1, but we can switch on for the Raspberry Pi 2, which is why we have two images, because 
some of the emulators are specifically optimized for the Raspberry Pi 2. And, and this is not our work. This is the work of the original emulator authors, of course. Yeah, I, I saw that with the, the N64 one, which we've mentioned a few times. I mean, that's a 64 with being emulated on a 32-bit. And between the original Pi and the Pi 2, there's a massive difference in the quality. I mean, it's it's playable, absolutely playable on the uh, the Raspberry Pi 2, while on the original, it was, a, you know, it was hit and miss depending on which game you were playing, as with my experience. So looking at, at RetroPie as it stands now, I, the last update that I downloaded, um, you brought in a whole new menu system for managing it to, to make it more graphical. Um, was that something that you saw the community asking for, or was it something you decided to yourself? You mean the controller configuration? Yeah. Yeah, well, that was actually something that we, well, that, that we discussed for quite a long time, and we always had this idea to have an integrated controller configuration right in within the GUI. It, well, as it is with open source projects, it took us some time to actually implement that, uh, because, yeah, I mean, people had to find some time to do that, but that was definitely something the community asked a lot for. And I'm, I'm pretty proud that we, that we did that and it the way we did that i think turned out to be working quite well it well it it works quite well and it's still a quite um well flexible and modular approach that we chose there there was also a call from users for improved configuration of devices like bluetooth based devices and for example, connecting to wireless. So we improved the GUIs for that. So now you can connect to a wireless network from, it's a very simple sort of text-based GUI, but you can navigate it using a gamepad too. And you can connect to also to Bluetooth and pair keyboards. And you can pair a keyboard with a controller now, which is useful if you don't have another keyboard to navigate the menus. Um, and also what's helped with this is uh, Herb has done a lot of work with documentation and kind of going to and fro between user requests and helping uh, create the, making the user experience better. Is there any one controller you guys would recommend someone using when they uh, download or install RetroPie? I think there's two answers to that question. Um, one of them is it depends on what they're using it for. If they're using it for the old games like Super Nintendo, um, typically they want to use a SNES controller or like the old Super Nintendo controller. And a lot of users have been pretty happy with the iBuffalo controller for that. Um, and I have some really cheap ones from China that are a lot cheaper, but they also work just as well. Um, but a lot of people also have leftover gamepads from the PS3 or the Xbox 360. Um, and if they're using newer systems like the N64 that have more than like the SNES controller buttons, they can use those. Um, it's a little bit, uh, there's a little bit more manual configuration, um, but the Bluetooth configurations that we've uh, been recently changing have made it a little easier to do that. So um, it depends on what people are using, but if they're doing simple things, iBuffalo, if they're doing more complicated things, a lot of people already have the Xbox 360 or PS3 controllers lying around. And then if they don't, the cheap ones, uh, there's like a Logitech F310, they're like $24 or something like that. And those work as well um, if they're looking for cheap, uh, more uh, expensive controllers or something like that. So That's about £20 in real money. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I, I went even cheaper than that. I've I've one uh, RetroPie set up in the office in work. We work with sales, so instead of shouting at sales, we beat each other up in uh, in Tekken. And I just went for 
um, US dual USB controllers off eBay. They're like eight, nine pounds. You plug it in, two controllers. It found it first time. It detected both controllers first time. Configure them using the GUI. Works perfectly. Hooray, a user without a controller problem. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the one. Yeah, worked 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 absolutely perfectly. I, I did previously um, configure it using the text-based interface, and I found that I couldn't release the buttons fast enough to, you know, I was getting two or three things trying to be set incorrectly, and uh, it, yeah, that was, I ended up doing a manual config file on that, but with the new with the new GUI interface, it was so much easier and so much better. I really, really appreciated that work. So thank you. Well, thank you. So I mentioned the extra power of the Raspberry Pi 2 there, but now with the Pi Zero, that's absolutely ideal to embed within controllers. So presumably there was a temptation to spend more time on the Raspberry Pi 2 version and optimize that more because it's it's got more power. But with the Pi Zero, has that meant a kind of drag back to also support the, the, the ARMv6 version? I'm really excited about it, but I, I, I haven't got one yet, and I can't get one. They keep selling out, but I'm really excited because we can all have a Game Boy in, with a pie in it in our pockets. You know, It's, it's going to be really good fun to, as you said, embed these into various small devices or even a controller and have... I mean, it's a lot of power for such a tiny board. Um, we still work on the Pi 1 version. So no, there's, I would say there's as much focus on that as there's the Pi 2 because it's all done, it's all the same code base. Yeah, well, actually the same uh, holds for me. I Luckily, I was uh, happy enough to get uh, one Pi Zero from the US, um, well, to order it from the US like 10 minutes after I was notified by, by email. But uh, yeah, well, I'm I'm still waiting for it, so I I just didn't have a chance to try that out myself. Yeah, I just got one for Christmas. <laughs> yeah, so I guess I'll have to do development for it. <laughs> I mean, the thing about the the Pi Zero is, although it's smaller and you can put it in controllers and stuff, if you've got an original uh, B plus or even the original B, like I've got, it the, the experience isn't going to be hugely different in terms of what's on the screen and input and output and stuff so you know you, you can be experiencing it you could prepare for it before you can actually get the pi zero it should be complete it's completely compatible as far as i know apart from uh, it's got less ports so you might you know you'll need a, a wi-fi stick and things like that yeah it's it's the same as the model a the original model a and the a plus from a power standpoint has the same the same port you just need the adapters so if it'll run on a an original model a then it'll run on the the zero there's nothing different from a technology in their standpoint i believe it's slightly faster than the pi one as well not only because it's got a higher default clock but i think they sped up the level two cache which you can't do on a pi one oh, i i didn't hear about the level two cache i, I knew they they changed the default speed to one gigahertz but i didn't hear about the level two being sped up it would be interesting to see some benchmarks. Uh, I'll test it out when I can get one. Yeah, and I'm really wondering how the community, the RetroPy community, will will maybe uh, respond to that as soon as uh, more people get the Pi Zero. I'm I'm looking forward to, to to their voices on the forum about the Pi Zero. Yeah, the one that I saw was um, 
Terence Eden putting one in an original Xbox uh, One controller, or not Xbox One, but the original Xbox big fat controller, sticking one into that and using RetroPie on it to play Doom and other games. Yeah, I think I've read about that, yes. Yeah, and that was literally within days of it being launched, so really easy. Has there been talk of maybe extending the RetroPie beyond the Raspberry Pi, maybe to other boards? Not, I know the Arduino really wouldn't be able to do much without it in tandem with uh, some kind of touchscreen, but what about, say, the Big BeagleBone or any of the other boards that are coming out? Well, recently, I, in fact, yesterday, I merged in some changes for some preliminary support for the Odroid C1 board, which is an ARM7 with a Mali uh, graphics chip. And so technically, any ARM7 board which uses the same graphics architecture, it could be modified to work with that. It wouldn't out the box, but, and the support is very early now. Uh, only emulation station, retro arch, and some of the retro arch emulators or libretro emulators run with that. I've tested three or four, which did work, but it's, it's very early and it would be nice to, if anyone with an Ojoid, uh, board and some development skills would like, could help out because, uh, it's it's difficult maintaining everything for all platforms. Uh, we even have uh, some support for building it on on x86, for which we use for testing, which a chap called Gizmo98 uh, submitted recently. Brilliant. You mentioned uh, emulation station there. Uh, it it comes up on splash screen when it boots up, but I don't really know what its function is as part of RetroPie. Well, emulation station is actually. Another open source project uh, that is this GUI that you see when when you choose the system, when you do the input uh, configuration, that is called Emulation Station. Okay, so you use that as the, the front-end menu system to call the different emulators with the relevant ROMs. Is that how it functions? Yes, exactly. Oh, okay. Okay. What what is currently the biggest hurdle you guys are facing at the moment with the RetroPie, or foresee in the future as being a problem you have to you know get around? Well, as far as I'm concerned, the trickiest stuff currently is just maintaining the number of images. Uh, and right now we're doing a crossover between the old Debian Wheezy and Jesse, and there have been some compatibility issues to deal with. Uh, and so right, the last release we did, we released the main images were Wheezy, but we also released some Debian or Raspbian and Jesse based images, which is the newer operating system for testing. But, but doing two sets is, is harder work. And I'm looking forward to, uh, moving toward, so our main image is based on Debian Jesse, which may happen for the next release. So what's the, uh, the next big thing that you're planning to do with, with RetroPie? Well, we've discussed um, a few different things. I think the biggest thing, at least as far as RetroPie is concerned for the users, um, we've talked about doing a more modular... I mean, we've been moving toward a more modular system, as you've seen with previous releases, but this uh, this next one we're hoping to be um, modular in the sense that you can add and remove uh, different options from RetroPie, and by doing that, it allows us to release a smaller image um, which will hopefully help on the server end because our server's been pretty uh, pretty backed up with the amount of uh, traffic it's had. So hopefully that will uh, fix some of that. Um, but as well, we'll make it a lot more customizable for users because a lot of them 
are always asking how I can, can I remove the uh, Macintosh or these other things that they don't typically play. Um, and so it'll give them an easier option to do that rather than having to go into the back end and try and figure out with where the files are. Well, one idea I always had was like uh, trying to to see if there's a way to to even connect the people more maybe online uh, so this retro arch has an uh, net play functionality but this is really nothing more than an idea and um i think well especially herb has made some uh, experiences with that functionality already and it's well it's quite <laughs> yeah, well, it's quite unclear if, if that network functionality will work out reliably enough for us to release that with RetroPie. There's some interesting developments from RetroArch, uh, which is nothing to do with us, of course, other than we ship with it. Uh, there's some new achievement. There's an achievement website, and you can uh, gain retro achievements by playing some games. I've not even tested it, but I believe it does work with some emulators. Uh, I need to do some more reading up on it myself. Uh, sounds like there's some interesting stuff happening in the future, and it's well worth checking out now for people who, who haven't. But uh, time ticks on, I'm afraid, guys. So um, to wrap it up, where can people find out more about uh, RetroPie and, and yourselves? Do you have uh, personal blogs or Twitters that you want to plug? Well, there's uh, the RetroPie project page, um, and actually on, on that project page, there's a section about contributing, so people could, if if not sh if unsure, they could look it up there. Um, specifically, we have a forum, uh, and uh, also, of course, the wiki that we've already mentioned. And um, yeah, I mean, the, the main development technically takes place at GitHub in the RetroPie uh, repository. Yeah, basically what Florian said, uh, as for me, I can be found on the forum. I'm also on GitHub uh, for bug reports. And I can be contacted on my blog as well, which is jwills.co.uk, where you can find out about other projects I do, for example, looking after XPMC for the original Xbox, or Linux images for the O2 Juggler, and other things like that. And if people need to get a hold of me, they can find me on the RetroPie forums as well. I'm under the username Herb Fargus. Um, and then I also maintain all of the wiki stuff on the GitHub account, which any users can contribute to, um, if they have any improvements, even just in documentation. So, Great. Well, I'll put some links in the show notes. But uh, until next time I speak to you guys, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, I thought it was a really cool interview we had with the RetroPie guys. And it's funny that we interviewed them because I believe it was a week later, my cousin, on, who had finally got himself a Raspberry Pi, was using RetroPie and was playing Tecmo Bowl all day long. And he was loving it. And I have been wanting to pull this down and install it myself. I just need to get a proper controller. And I believe they mentioned that time and time again in the interview on what be is best to use. So I'm highly looking forward to playing with it. Yeah, and, and also um, RetroPie 3.4 has been released, which is now based off Jesse. So uh, the same version of Linux as the uh, the official Raspbian distribution. And just on, on the simplicity of getting um, RetroPie set up, I had the jam last Sunday, and uh, Zach Matcham, who I, I, I don't know how old he is, but if he was 12, he was old, had 
he brought along his RetroPie setup. He got a, a Pi Zero, he put it into an old PlayStation 1, he got some USB uh, SNES type controllers off the internet, and he had it running all of the different emulators. Uh, the the main version of Pac-Man was, was one of the most popular on the day. So it's really simple to set up. It works fantastic on the Pi Zero. I think that extra bit of memory makes a difference. And uh, yeah, it's it's easy, it's worth trying. Go out there and download it. Well, with that, we're coming to the end of another Pi Podcast. If you want to get in contact, you can email show at thepiepodcast.com or find us on Twitter, Facebook, Stitcher, iTunes, or leave a comment on the website. Thanks for joining me, Isaac and Albert, and thanks to everyone for listening. We'll see you again in two weeks with more Raspberry Pi news, interviews, and discussion. Bye, everyone. Take care. See you later. <laughs>